The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. With child dedications taking place today, I've been doing some reflecting upon legacy, legacy in my own family. I've been thinking about my own kids and, and what legacy of devotion am I leaving for them? What path am I encouraging them to walk? And I'll be honest, as I reflect and as I watch my kids, I think there are some things I've done well and some things that I've done not so well. Of course, I'm talking about football. You see, I'm a, I'm a 49ers fan. And so, you know, as, as, as a father who cheers for the 49ers, I, of course, would love my kids to grow up to be Niners fans as well. And so you uh, might understand then my surprise when my oldest, Callan, told me that he was not going to be a 49ers fan, but in fact, he was going to be a Seattle Seahawks fan. Now, what you need to know about the Seahawks is that as a 49ers fan, there's no other team in the entire National Football League that could be worse to choose than them. We're talking about divisional rivals, right? And so... While I've set out to pass down this legacy of 49er devotion and fandom, I see that somewhere along the way, we've, we've gone astray. Now contrast that with Husker football. All of our kids are walking faithfully along the path uh, as, as Husker fans, right? And so we've, things have gone better there. So I've, I've been trying to mull this over and figure out, like, why were we able to to pass along our love for the Huskers to our kids? And and why do I have one, and and now actually two, Greer, our our middle child, has has started to, uh, she's she's told me she wants to follow her older brother. She's going to cheer for the Seahawks as well. So why why have I been successful in encouraging my kids as Husker fans, but not as 49ers fans? And you see, um, as, as a Husker fan living in Lincoln, Nebraska, having grown up in Nebraska, really much in our lives revolves around being Husker fans, right? And so the, the Huskers are on TV every week when they're playing. I have t-shirts, and I have hats, and I have Husker sweatshirts, and we have Husker mugs, and so like we have Husker gear galore, right? And, and um, we, we go to the games, or if there's a game that, that's on TV, of course, we're all sitting down on a Saturday to watch that game. The entire Saturday leading up to the game kind of revolves around the game, and in fact, there's anxious anticipation the entire week leading up to the game. In the offseason, we're talking about recruiting, talking about what, what we think the Huskers are going to look like in the coming season. And, and so you see our, our lives, in, in a lot of respects, from a, from a sports angle, kind of revolve around 
our love of the Huskers. Now, contrast that with the 49ers. Right? They're, they're all the way in California. That's a long ways away. That also means that we rarely get to see football games here in Lincoln on TV. Like, unless we're going to pay for, like, the NFL, you know, ticket pass thing, whatever that is, which we don't. Um, also, um, because of what we do here on Sundays and because of what I do in particular on, on Sundays, because of my job, there, there is much less time for us to sit down and to watch a 49ers game um, should it happen to be on local television here. And so you see our, our lives are Monday through Sunday, they they kind of revolve around our love of the Huskers and and my 49ers devotion, though I, I love the Niners, it's it's much more peripheral than that, right? It doesn't it doesn't saturate every day. It doesn't saturate our lives like like the Huskers do. And 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 so in some in some way, I, I think that this is related to our text today. We're not talking about football. We're talking about a, a different kind of devotion altogether, a much more important kind of devotion, and that is devotion to God. And, and so while I, I talk about legacy as sports fans, what the psalmist wants to talk about here in Psalm 78 is a legacy of faith. And the psalmist is going to teach us about what it looks like to teach our kids to walk in the ways of the Lord, to set their hope on Him, and to follow Him faithfully. And so then, I I think that this text has a lot to say to us as parents on this Child Dedication Sunday. Because look, we don't want our kids in a spiritual sense, cheering for the Seahawks, do we? No. No, we want them to to walk the straight path, worship the Lord, so to speak. Um, And so that's that's what's going to happen here in these first eight verses in Psalm 78. The, The psalmist wants to teach us about what it looks like to pass down a legacy of faith from generation to generation. And so Three things that uh, the psalmist wants to to tell us about. First of all, the psalmist is going to tell us about who we are to teach. And I've already kind of let that cat out of the bag, right? We're talking about our children today. So we're going to talk, first of all, about who we are to teach as we attempt to pass down our faith from generation to generation. Secondly, the text is going to tell us what we are to teach. If we want to pass down our faith to subsequent generations, what is it in in particular, what is it specifically that we need to teach these generations? And then lastly, what is this all in service of? Why are we to teach? What is the ultimate goal for us as people of faith as we attempt to establish a legacy of faith? All right, so... Let's uh, jump into the first point. Who are we to teach? Now, something that is very clear in the Bible is that God desires that his glory be made known and his name be made known 
not just to a few particular nations or peoples, but to all nations and all peoples. We, we see this throughout the pages of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. If we go all the way back to Genesis 12, when the Lord first calls Abraham, his name at the time was Abram, he makes this promise to Abram. He says, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so in this text, all the way back in the first book of the Bible, chapter 12, we see the Lord promises to make Abraham a single man, a great nation. And again, to, to what end? Well, through Abraham in this great nation that comes from him, the Lord says, all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So look, we talk about this a lot in our church and in churches like ours. So we memorize passages of scripture like the Great Commission which says, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so our church and churches like us, we send missionaries all over the world to preach the gospel, to plant churches. Why do we do this? Well, because as God's people, We've been commanded to, de to declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples, so that one day people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will declare that Jesus is king so that they will declare that Jesus is Lord of all so that they would bow to him and worship him as such. Think about this for a minute. Think about this promise that was made to Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Look, you, you can't merely, this realizing this promise can't merely be realized through the casting of a wide net of evangelism. There has to be more to it than that. So go back to Abraham and to Sarah. How does one man and his wife become a mighty nation, let alone bless all the families of the earth? How is this going to happen? Well, we get a glimpse of how, at least in part, in Psalm 78. Take a look at verses 4 through 6 of our text. It says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. And so how do a, a husband and wife become a people capable of blessing all the families of the earth? It takes place through generations through generations. And what I want us to notice in this passage this morning is that 
much like God's redemptive plan involves making his name and glory known to all nations, so too does, does it involve making his name and glory known throughout all generations. You see, that the gospel doesn't merely reach wide through evangelism. And in fact, if all we were doing was casting a wide net of evangelism, but we weren't passing the faith along to subsequent generations, you see, the gospel wouldn't have much staying power at all. We would see flash-in-the-pan style growth. And so the, the gospel doesn't merely reach wide through evangelism, but it, it also drills deep, embedding itself into generation after generation after generation. And, and look at all of the generations represented in these, these few simple verses that I just read. Verse 5, he says, how long... Uh, let's say, uh, he, verse 5, he says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to who? To our fathers. There's a generation. To teach to who? To their children. There's another generation. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. Now we're talking about generations that haven't even been born yet. And arise and teach them to who? To their children. So we see at minimum four or five generations represented in these two short verses. In fact, we're talking about generations that are yet to be born. Not only are we talking about generations coming to faith that have yet to be born, but we're talking about them coming to faith and then passing along their faith to still the next generation. You see, the Lord desires his name and glory to be made known to all generations. We're talking about all people for all time. This is the Lord's aim. This is the Lord's desire. Psalm 45, 17 says, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. The gospel reaches wide, yes, but it also has staying power. And it results in God's people worshiping him forever and ever from generation to generation. And so here we are, Two Pillars Church in Lincoln, Nebraska in 2021. We've been swept up into this plan. We've been swept up into this story. The faith has been passed along to many of us. And now you and I, we have a role to play. Because the Lord still desires to make his name and glory known among all generations. The question we need to ask ourselves then is, and the question that I want to pose to you then is, are you thinking about the next generation? How much time to, do you spend thinking about, praying about, the passing along of your faith to the next generation. Now let me ask this. How much time do you spend thinking about and praying for the generation after them? How, how much time do you spend thinking about and praying about, crying out to the Lord about generations 
yet unborn. And beyond that, what what are you and what am I, what are we as a church doing to make the Lord's name and glory known to these generations? Now, of course, there's very clear, very obvious application here for those of us gathered here today who are parents, especially parents of young children or kids who are living at home. And I want to be clear that the Scripture places the primary burden and responsibility for the, the discipleship of kids upon the shoulders Not of full-time youth pastors, which is good because we don't have one. But upon the shoulders of parents. But, I want to be very clear. This text isn't a text that's been written just to parents. It begins with these words, Give ear, O my people. Give ear, Oh, my people. This isn't a psalm that just addresses parents of children. This is a psalm for all of God's people. It's a psalm that was written for the entire community of faith. And again, while I argue the primary responsibility of passing one's faith along to subsequent generations rests on the shoulders of a, children, of a child's parents, it's certainly not exclusively the responsibility of parents. It's, it's our responsibility as the family of God. And so how can you participate? How can you actively participate and invest in the next generation here at Two Pillars Church? Well, you can do something really simple like serving Two Pillars kids downstairs on Sunday mornings. Look, what what goes on in our Two Pillars kids' classrooms downstairs is some of the most important stuff that we do as a church. While we were on sabbatical a couple of summers ago, in fact, one of the things that my kids missed most, the thing that they, number one above anything, missed most about gathering here on Sundays was Two Pillars kids. That was a significant thing. And in fact, during the pandemic, when we've not had Two Pillars kids kind of operational downstairs or not the, the ages, not for the ages of our kids. The, the thing that our kids have communicated that they've missed most through this kind of pandemic period has been Two Pillars kids. And so look, if, if you're already serving downstairs, let, let me just tell you that you're not a babysitter down there. This isn't what we're asking our Two Pillars kids volunteers to do or to be. What you are what you are doing down there is you're, you're investing in the next generation. You are working alongside the rest of our family of faith and alongside our children's parents to leave a legacy for Jesus with these children. So you can support, you can participate in this through serving in those kids. You can also just support parents especially young parents in our body. So if you're, if you're a parent who's been around the block a couple of times, if there is a parent that you see who's just a, a step or two behind you in terms of season of life, I'd encourage you, reach out to that parent. 
Ask how things are going. Ask them what questions they have, how you can be in prayer for them. Reach out to parents at a, a similar stage as you and, and ask how you can encourage one another. Maybe even help your kids to form friendships. Lastly, you can, you can take an active interest in the lives of those who are younger than you in our church body, in particular, our kids. So I, I want to challenge all of us to engage with kids on Sunday mornings. So even as this time of greeting that we just had, I wonder how many of us, how many of us had a conversation with, with a child today? Or when there's an opportunity to mill about, are we just looking for other adults? I'll tell you my answer. I'm typically looking for other adults. Let me encourage you. Bring that gaze a little bit more downward. Engage, engage with our children. Encourage our children in the gospel. Build relationships with your friends' kids. Learn the names of the kids they call Two Pillars Church Home. Because look, over the next several years, the teenage population of our church is about to explode. We have what I would say is a, a, a few now, but once these young children in our body grow up, we are going to have, we're going to have a massive youth group, right? And, and we're going we're gonna to need help, and, and, and we're going to need folks to, to come alongside these kids as they grow up and, and to be a part of passing the faith from generation to generation. And so, okay, we, we know who we are to teach according to this text. Future generations, we're to teach our children. The question we need to answer next then is, is what are we to teach them? There are two things in particular that this text wants us to teach our children. Number one, who God is and what he has done. His wondrous deeds, his, his mighty works. Secondly, we're to teach our children his commands. So his, his wondrous deeds and his commands. Now, if we focus in on his wondrous deeds, who God is and what he has done for us as his people, there are a lot of things that we could teach our kids about God. And we should teach them all the things about God, right? For example, the attributes of God. We, we should be teaching our children about who our God is. What kind of God is he? What is his nature like? What is his character like? But, but there's something specific that this psalm has in mind. Verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. You see, we're to teach our children about the Lord's deeds, his might, his wonders. Or in other words, not just about who God is, but again, what he has done. And what's interesting is if, if we read the rest of this psalm, what we would 
see is a chronicling of the rebellion of God's people, which is, is a really interesting thing to, to follow these first eight verses up with, isn't it? Here's a list of the failures of Israel. But the psalmist does this on, permit, on purpose because in highlighting the failures of Israel, what does he do but highlight the faithfulness of God in the face of their failures? And back and forth and back and forth it goes over and over and over again. See, the, the Lord performs wonders in Egypt. He, he divides the Red Sea so that his people could walk across on dry ground. He made streams of water come out of rocks. And yet we read they sin more and more against him and re rebelled against the Most High God. We're told that he rained down manna to eat and gave them grain from heaven. And still they grumbled against him. He put his saving power on display time and time and time again, yet they didn't believe in him or trust in his saving power. In verses 37 and 38 of this psalm give us a good summary. It says there, that's Israel, their heart was not steadfast toward him, that being God, they were not faithful to his covenant, yet he, they were not faithful to his covenant, yet he, yet God, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. Again, the, the failure of God's people brings to light, sheds this glorious light on the faithfulness of God. He atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up his wrath. This is what we're to tell our children about. God's faithfulness, his saving power put on display in the face of their rebellion and in the face of our own. And this is what the gospel of Jesus is all about, isn't it? In fact, I think this is a pretty good summary of the entire Bible. That Jesus died for our sin while we were hope, hope, hopelessly dead in our sin that he rose back to life three days later in order that through faith in him, we too might have life. That Jesus, who was innocent, was declared guilty in order that we who actually were guilty could be declared innocent. That we who were once enemies of God might be adopted as children of God. Romans 8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel, God's faithfulness in the face of our rebellion. And remember, this, this isn't just a New Testament concept. I think Psalm 78 makes this very clear. This is a this is a throughout history, entire Bible concept, and, and we're commanded to tell coming generations about it all. But look, we can't stop here. This isn't the only thing that we're commanded to tell subsequent generations about through this passage. We're also instructed to tell them the commandments of God. So we've covered the wondrous deeds of God. We're also instructed to 
teach subsequent generations about the commands of God. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, not and not forget the works of God, but what? Keep his commandments. He appointed a law, and we are to keep his commandments. One of the things that I want you to notice about verses 5 through 7 is the relationship that exists between the, settings, the setting of one's hope on God on the one hand and keeping his commandments on the other. You see, faith in God and keeping God's commands are absolutely connected. And we shouldn't, and and in fact, we, we can't really divorce the two. You see, on the one hand, our faith in Christ, along with our new identity with Him, in Him, along with our new heart that He's given us, along with our new desires that we receive in Him, they should result in lives of worship and obedience to his commands. That's because we belong to a new family and we walk in a manner that pleases our Father, whom we love and who first loved us. And so, on the one hand, our faith in Jesus leads to obedience to Jesus. On the other hand, though, our attempts to obey Jesus' commands reveals not only God's holiness, but also our own sinfulness. It reveals to us our own inability to do this perfectly. Augustine wrote that the the law bids us, as we try to fulfill its requirements, and become wearied in our weakness under it, to know how to ask the help of grace. In other words, the law of God, God's commandments, that they serve as a mirror for us that shows us our sinfulness and our need for a Savior, pointing us and our children right back to Jesus, to repentance and faith in Him. And so then, our faith in Jesus points us to His commands, and our attempts to walk in His commands points us back to our need for Jesus. They're they're connected. So then, as Psalm 78, Psalm 78 calls us to teach our children about who God is and what He has done on the one hand and about His commands on the other. Let me offer one word of, of warning. This isn't an either-or sort of thing. This is absolutely a both-and sort of thing. You, you see, you can't just teach, we can't just teach our kids about who God is and what He's done. We can't just teach our kids about His wondrous deeds at the expense of His commands. If we do this, if we focus upon the grace of God in the saving work of God, and we leave out his commands, we leave out his law, what this is going to lead to is license, licentiousness. The kind of licentiousness that, that's, that presumes upon the grace of God. That says, look, Jesus died for my sins, so what's one more? 
Ultimately, it, it leads to complacency about godly living. And in, in its most extreme cases, it leads to, to a fancy word called antinomianism, which is an outright denial of, of any relevance between, the God, uh, between God's law and the life of the believer. It denies any application of God's law for the life of the Christian. Now, if we flip that equation and we emphasize the commands of God over the works of God, so if we, if we underemphasize the saving grace of God, if we overemphasize the commands of God, what this will lead us to is the opposite of license, which, which is legalism. Dr. Timothy Keller defines legalism as this. He says, legalism is looking to something besides Jesus Christ in order to be acceptable and clean before God. What, what, what we will do, what our children will do is look to the commands of God as a means by which they might make themselves right before God. And what we have, we've just seen in Psalm 78 is that we're incapable of working ourselves to right standing before God. And the gospel is the good news of his faithfulness, his saving grace, his pursuit of us in the face of our failures and sin and rebellion. And so let's be careful to teach both, both and. Both about the, the wondrous deeds of our God on the one hand and his commands on the other. Well, that brings us to our third point, then why are we to teach? Why are we to teach? What is our ultimate goal in all of this? What is our aim? What is our desired end? Well, verses seven and eight tell us this very directly. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. We teach our kids about the wondrous deeds of God. We, we teach our kids to obey the commands of God. Ultimately, so they will set their hope in God so that their hearts will be steadfast in faith and their spirits might be faithful to him. We, we teach our children so that they will walk with Jesus and teach the next generation that comes after them to do the same. And this is the mission of our church. Ultimately, our mission as a church is a multi-generational mission. Look, the, the hope isn't just that, that you and I know Jesus and make Jesus known in our city and in the world around us. And look, our mission isn't just that our children would know Jesus and make him known, but it's that our children and our children's children would know Jesus and make him known and that they would tell their children about Jesus as well. 
This is one of the things that we pray over our kids, that one day our kids would get to see their grandchildren walking with Jesus. It's one of the things that I I pray for all of the kids that are a part of the, the Two Pillars Church family. That they would get to see not only their own children walking with Jesus, but their children's children. And that their children's children would tell generations yet unborn. And look, there are no guaranteed results. That is one caveat that I want to make. We can't guarantee results. All that we can do is, by God's grace, seek to be, to, to be faithful to, to that which God's Word calls us to here. All we can do is to, in our own imperfect and insufficient ways, set out to be faithful to God's Word, to, to set out to be faithful, to pass along a legacy of faith to our children, to our children's children. And, and the less, or the rest rather, the rest is left up to God. The rest is a waiting game. The rest is an act of faith. But look, even in this, our kids watch us. Even in this, our kids watch us. And so two pillars. This is, this is what we are here to, to talk about today in our child dedications. This is what we are to, here to celebrate today. We're, we're here to, to celebrate. We're here to, to pray for the next generation coming to know Jesus, walking with him. What we're here to, to pray for today is a continued legacy of faith in and through all of our families, in and through our church family. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.